So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 in the New King James Version. It reads, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. And on today, if you would journey with me, the installment that God led me to place in our series of manifest is manifesting before the battle. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you for all that has transpired on today. We thank you, Father God, for setting up the table for your word to go forth, God. God, we truly trust you and we believe in everything you said about us, everything that your word says we are able to do, everything your word said that we are capable of doing, everything that your word said we shall do in the name of Jesus. Father God, we bind up every attack of the enemy that has been launched against your people in the name of Jesus, every form and every fashion in the name of Jesus. We bind up every demonic spirit that has tried to take away the power of your people in the name of Jesus, that has tried to take away the future from your people in the name of Jesus. We choose, Father God, to worship you in spirit and truth. We choose, Father God, to lift up our hands as a sign of surrender unto you. We choose, Father God, to be there in your presence. We choose, Father God, you over our flesh, you over Satan, you over our own desires, you over everything in the name of Jesus, because we believe, Father God, that greater is he that lives inside of us than he that is in this world, that we are more than conquered through you who love us in the name of Jesus. So, Father God, we come to you one once again, Father God, seeking your face, seeking what's in your head and not just what's in your hands. We're coming seeking strategies for us to be able to manifest in this territory that you call for us to dominate, to occupy until you return. So, Father God, I release myself unto you. Have your way. Use me as your vessel of war against the kingdom of darkness in the name of Jesus. I bind up all form of fear, anxiety, and depression that will try to erect itself against your word in the name of Jesus. I bind up the word that says that we cannot do what you said we can do because your word said that all things are possible with you. So, Father God, I truly bless you and I praise you and I glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, as I mentioned earlier, what our focus scripture being in 2 Corinthians 4 and 10. This is actually aligned to our theme for this year of 2021, which is to manifest. Say manifest. Okay, now that I got your attention, you know, the, it takes a man to kind of get the engine rolling. Say the word manifest. manifest. All right, now say it with a little bit of attitude. Say manifest. All righty. So the Greek word for manifest is phenero, meaning to make manifest or visible or known what has been hidden or unknown. To manifest whether by words or deeds or in any other way. Now this year, God is looking for us as his people to make visible him. We have been building up to this point. And now it's time for the words that we have spoken to align to the actions that we need to follow through with. We are called ambassadors of God. And now it's time for us to fulfill that distinction in the earth. Romans 8 and 19 says, for the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the Son of God. Now, that's in the King James Version. Um, New, King, New King James Version says something similar. But I wanted to pick up the word manifestation. Meaning everything is waiting for the sons of God to manifest themselves in this land. We are landlords before we gain any other position according to the word of God in Genesis. We were told to manage the land, to manage the territory, but we were never given license to manage each other. 
So we were first landlord. We were sent first with a job to begin to dominate the territory that we were in. And that job is up for us to do. God has given us the provision and the strategy to do it, but it's now our turn to be able to do it. Now, the life and the story I want to focus on for today, to kind of focus this thought, is David. Now, we can say with confidence when we look at the, the, the story of David, especially when we look at 1 Samuel 16 and 17, that the pinnacle point or the turning point for David was when he defeated Goliath in the valley. A lot of things changed for David when he defeated the giant in that territory. When he defeated Goliath in the valley, he ended up using the tools that he had sharpened as a shepherd to be able to cut off the head of Goliath using his own sword. Now, remember, when he did this, he did this in the face of God's, of, of Israel's army, who were punked out by Goliath, who called them 40 days and 49 conf- um, consistently to bring out a champion to fight against him. Goliath was even so cold, he didn't even say, you were servants of God. He said, bring me a servant of Saul. Very interesting point to write there. And so the thing about it is that for us, we have to remember that God will prepare us for fights that belongs to us. It is our responsibility to go through the training season like David did during his time of being a shepherd to ensure the victory when it's game time. For today, what I want to do is take a step back and look into David's story prior to the battle with Goliath to highlight moments where he manifests God. So many times we go through David's story, which is an awesome story of what he did as a shepherd boy and um, the pathway and all these items. But there's a couple of nuggets that God illuminated for me that he wouldn't let me shake off. There, there, what I'm learning is there's moments where there's a lot of things, a lot of stories hit, and I'm like, that's good, God. That's good, God. That's good, God. But what ends up happening is, is God ends up zeroing in on something. He's, he won't let us shake it off. He says, I need for you as my people to get this thing right. I need you to consume all that is there. It's like you having a toddler who has a sandwich on their plate and they might bite the middle part but won't eat the crust. And we have to sit there as parents and say, no, you need to eat all of it. I need a happy plate. God is saying when he end up feasting upon his word that there's moments in which God will say, I'm not going to move you from this for two or three months because I need for you as my people to be able to pick up exactly what's there because you're going to need it moving forward. So once again, I'm talking about manifesting before the battle. So this is prequel to him going to Goliath and defeating Goliath. That's the end of the story at that point. He defeated Goliath. But there's some lessons I want to make sure that God wants to make sure that we won't, won't miss. And what it really centers around is who David manifests God around before he got to Goliath. We can all see the moment where David manifests God in front of Goliath. We see it, shepherd, raw, got it, rock, sling, awesome. But there's some other people that David manifests God in front of before he got to Goliath. 
people of God, we can't just wait for the moment where we say, where the big moment where we manifest against someone. God is saying, I need for you to win the small battles as you continue to journey on and be developed for the big battles on the other end. That's why apostle has this due teach back. So we're able to learn things and be able to apply it in this safe zone so that when we go out of these walls, because this is just a training center, we're able to apply it effectively and efficiently, which is one of the words when it comes to manifestation and demonstration, to be able to do it efficiently. So one of the places that God illuminated for me that David manifests to was to his family. So for us, one of the points we need to realize is, are we manifesting to our families? Now, where did David actually do this? One of the places he did is when he was anointed as king. 1 Samuel 16, 11 through 13, it reads as follows. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remain yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and bright eyes and good looking. Didn't realize David was good looking. Moving on. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from the de that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now, what we have to realize, what came before this in 1 Samuel 15, is that King Saul disobeyed God. And when you go to between verse 22 to verse 24, what you leave with is that we get the statement that obedience is far much greater to God than any sacrifice that, that can be given unto him. Because Samuel didn't follow God's instruction. And so now we're at the point where God has released Samuel to go anoint the next king. And in this story, we always know that David was kid, son number eight. He was the youngest. But what I never realized is that when he got anointed, it wasn't just him and Samuel. What ended up happening is that he got anointed in front of his father and his brothers, which means the family or the fam saw him get anointed as king, which means they knew what he was being anointed to become. But here's the other thing about it. David was the only one that wasn't at the place to begin with. David was actually doing his job. He was on his post. He was keeping the sheep. And when you think about it, you look how old David was, you tend to realize he's about 17 years old, which means these sheep are not his sheep. It's his father's sheep, which means he was the only one out there on his post that his father gave him to do. So what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that for David, first of all, how he manifests God, he was doing what his father told him to do. People of God, does our family see us doing what our father has told us to do? Because they're looking for us to manifest in one of the easiest places, but also the hardest places, is to manifest God around our family because they know every last one of our history. They are the closest to us so they're the closest to our heart. But also with them being the closest to us, they know our dirt and have to choose whether they will wash the dirt off of us in their eyes or hold us to our worst situation that we were in. But regardless of what they do, we still have to choose 
to manifest because for some of us, we're feeling that calling that God is elevating us. But then our family doesn't see that we're, that we're being elevated. And when we get around them at family reunion, they start saying, well, aren't you so-and-so's kid? I'm sorry, let me go back to the Bible. When Jesus went back to the city, they were like, aren't you just a carpenter's son? So the, so the point is, regardless of what they're doing, we have to understand that we're doing this for God. The other point of manifesting with his father is that he obeyed his father's call. Now, you heard me mention that he did what his father told him to do as far as working, but also he was obedient to his father's call. Let me show you this. 1 Samuel 16, 11 through 12, it says, once again, and Samuel said to Jesse, who is David's father, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he, Jesse, sent and brought him in. In other words, Jesse made a call to his son, and David responded. Now, the other thing that happens is there was another call that happened. It happened when King Saul was under distress from the evil spirit. So 1 Samuel 16, 19 and 20, it says, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse, David's father, and said, Send me your son David, not the other seven, who is with the sheep. Once again, he's doing what his father told him to do. And Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. In other words, it was another call where Jesse told David to go serve. Where else did he do it? When his father told him to go back and check on his brothers, when you look at 1 Samuel 17, when we talk about being at the valley, when we go to 1 Samuel 17, 17 through 18, also jump into verse 20, it says, then Jesse said to his son, David, Jesse, father, David, son, take now for your brothers, sorry, take now for your brother an ephah of this dry grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheese to the chief, the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now, if you jump to verse 20, what it says is, so David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. Once again, David could have said no. I don't know what the outcome would have been, but he had the ability to say no. But David responded to the call of his father. We don't see anywhere where David questioned his father. We don't see anywhere where David was like, let me think about it, let me sleep on it. A matter of fact, every time that Jesse called David to go do something, there were provision provided for him to do it, assigned by the Father. Meaning for us, as we manifest to our families and we do what God has told us to do through obedience, it then charges him to supply the things we need to complete what he's calling for us to do. In other words, look at Matthew 6 and what you realize is that around verse 25 through 34, that it says we are not to worry about anything. 
if God is willing to take care of the grass of the field, these insects that we're supposed to lord over and manage, how much more will he do for us? In other words, people of God, stop being worried about if you are qualified, if you have what it takes to do it. If God called you, that means he already pre-qualified you to be able to complete the very thing he's telling you to do. Even if it's just manifest and stand as my prophet in your family lineage to change the generational curse that have been placed upon your family from generations that you even know the name of. And what's awesome about God when we look at this is that he loved David and saw his obedience, which was the thing that King Saul didn't do anymore. The whole reason David got anointed was because King Saul was disobedient. And now what we have is that God is picking someone who is obedient. Forget the age, forget the task. He's obedient to what is being done to his earthly father. So what will he do with his heavenly father? Now, for us, when we begin to obey God, it puts us in the right places with him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Now, with him directing our path, we have to say yes to them and do not um, and understand they're going to lead us to where we need to go. Also, to be able to interact with those we need to interact with. Also, be able to begin to have the divine appointment with those that are on the road. In other words, him telling us to go do something where we may not see what the outcome is going to be is not a requirement to God telling us to go somewhere. Abram had to deal with this in Genesis 12, 1 through 4, when God told him to go to a foreign land. I will get, make you fathers of many nations, but I need you to go. Abram didn't realize he was going to run into two times. We have to consider, do I tell this king if this person is my wife or not? Abram didn't realize he was going to roll. We have to potentially sacrifice his son. Abram didn't realize he was going to be on this road and have to deal with um, and have Ishmael come into the fold. Abraham, Abraham didn't even know his name was going to change. He didn't know none of this. All he knew was God told me to go, and my choice is to go or not. People of God, we have to understand if we don't say, say yes, when God tells us to go, then we're going to miss the territory that God wants us to be able to take over in his name. And it may not be a physical territory. It may be a company. It may be a corporation. It may be a group. It may be an alliance. It may be a, a shelter. It may be a, 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 a mobile home community. It may be a school. It could be whatever God designs it to be. But whatever it is, God said, I've already qualified you to go that way. And when you get there, I will begin to put my words in your mouth like I did to Jeremiah so you're able to complete the task I have for you and to be able to manifest yourself in front of your family. Now the second place God's uh, David manifests himself was in the community. Now for David the first place we see that this actually happens is when he's going to King Saul or before he went to King Saul when King Saul was dealing with the evil spirit. What ended up happening is that right after David got anointed now we see an evil spirit that came from God, that's a whole nother story, that popped up on King Saul. He called his advisors together to be like, can y'all find somebody to begin to minister in music to be able to address this spirit? And when you get to 1 Samuel 16, 18, what we find is the response of one of the advisors or the servants. So it says, then one of the servants answered and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. 
When this individual began to talk about David, he mentioned a couple of categories. Number one, his natural lineage. Number two, his character. When you talk about being a man of valor or um, valiant, a war, basically a fighter, and he could talk. Once again, physical features, which everyone's so tied up with physical feature when God's had to look at the heart, but that's moving on. And then also, who was with him, which is most important, that the Lord was with him. So let me ask you this question. What do people say about you? Let me ask the second question now. What do you give people to say about you? Let me help you clear some of this stuff up. People are going to be talking about you. Might as well give them God to talk about. They're going to talk about you, right? See, the, see, this walk is about living a kingdom lifestyle and showing others how they can do the same. That's what we're called to do. This is not a, we're not called to be their gods. We're not, des, we're, we're not designed to do that. We're designed to be their fellow brothers and sisters trying to return our siblings back to the kingdom of God, just like Jesus Christ did for, did for us. We have the ministry, ministry of reconciliation, and we are called to work in that very thing. Now, our final scripture even reminds us of that, that we, are, that we have this work that we need to do, regardless of what people have to say about us. It is about defending the throne. See, here's the thing. People are going to be people. They're going to talk about us regardless. Let me help you. They're already talking about us. And so the thing about it is, if they're going to talk about it and put, as, as I've learned from my student, they're going to put my name in their mouth. Let me put God's name in your mouth then and let you talk about him and give you the ability to see that God is able to do anything but fail. Let me show you a God who's able to do what he said he's going to do. If you're going to challenge me about the God that I serve, then let's actually have a conversation about the God that I serve and recognize that even though you tried to swipe me, you tried to scam my life and find a way where there's glitch. Let me help you. Yes, there are glitches in our lives. There is a past that we have. There are some moments that we hope God do not bring back on that beautiful bean footage when we go to heaven. But guess what? It is an opportunity to show off the power of God that, he, yes, that's who I was, but that's not who I am, and that's not who I'm designed to become in the future. We just went through a year talking about becoming, and guess what? People are trying to see, oh, we're going to become the people of God that God has said. And these are the moments where people try to bring up our scars that we said, I got that scar but I've learned this from God and I'm still walking with God even though this has happened so if you're going to talk about it let's be accurate when you say it I'll give you credit when you're correct but the other thing I'm going to do is fix your face and change your voice when you try to say something against my God and the number one person who tries to do this is Satan because he's an accuser of the brethren when you look at Revelations 12 and 10 it literally says that he's an accuser of the brethren which basically means he is trying to figure out any type of look a, a loophole or foothold or stronghold to be able to claim over our life to pull us down to try to tell us that we are fake that we are phony but our God says I will cover you I've covered you with the blood of Jesus I made you blameless blameless and no blemish upon you so that Satan has no legal right to have access on you unless you give it to him because realize Satan is identifying John 8 44 as the father of lies his job is he's going to try to twist the truth 
and try to convince any person that his lie is the truth. And that's in the community. Now, what is the community to us? It could be our coworkers. It can also be our family. But it can also be others who don't understand why we act the way we do. They have a misconception of why we follow God as hard as we do. And the source of it is something we can have a conversation about. But the, the difference is going to be this. If you're taking... If you're taking so much time to talk about how I'm living my life, then how are you living your life? And understand, the God that I serve wants to give you life and not take away life. The God that we serve is one who wants to restore you and show you what was your original purpose on the earth. Yes, I understand you can see things before it happened. Do you understand that's the gift of prophecy? Yes, I understand you can feel people in the spirit and you're using them to gain money. But God is saying that's not. You are perverting the very gift that I've given you. Gift and calling come without repentance. But if we want to see the effectiveness of the gift that God has given us, we have to give it back to him to be able to allow for him to begin to utilize it in the kingdom in its original purpose. Yes, we can get an aftermarket piece for our vehicle, but when we try to fix a vehicle, the best piece to get is the one that was designed for the car that you are driving. We understand that you can take a part from a Toyota and put it on a Nissan, but guess what? In three months, you're probably going to be back trying to get that very thing fixed, when originally you should have spent more money getting the exact part that was designed for that vehicle that you're driving and stop trying to be cheap and trying to cut corners when God said I want perfection there's a certain way this has to be done that's why it's called discipline there's a certain path I need us to go there's a certain way that has to be done I can show you better than I can tell you but people have to decide if they're going to read our lives we can't force them to do so what we have control to do is to live the life God has called for us to live and allow for others to catch up. Because God knows timing and we do not. The next person that David manifests in front of was the king. Oh, did you not realize that even though David was anointed as king, he was not appointed king yet? There was still a king that he had to serve under. And so how did, when did he manifest in front of the king? Well, David did it first when he had to play the harp. Like, he had the little cosign from the, um, the servants that he can do it, but he actually still had to do it. So 1 Samuel 16, 23, it says, And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, this is the, the evil spirit, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit, which came from God, would depart from him. So the thing was, King Saul was being tormented because he disobeyed God. But God allowed for David, the one who, would be a, who was anointed king but wasn't appointed king yet, to bring God back to him in this way, in this fashion. So he had to manifest God. It wasn't just, it wasn't just playing the instrument. Anyone can play an instrument. That is cute and cuddly. But the thing was, this was playing an instrument to the point where the spirit of God would rest and begin to subdue the spirit that was there. Th that's the difference. It's one thing to be like, I'm not feeling good and play jazz music. It's another thing to not feel good and then you put on worship or worship music to begin to change the atmosphere. Now, also, when how else you manifest in front of the king? Well, 
if we think about it for us, we are asked to manifest in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have to understand in Proverbs 15, 3, it says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Colossians 3, 23 to 24, it says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. What David was showing is, I am serving you as the earthly king, but I'm really doing this because my dad told me to do it. So for us, it's like, yes, I can begin to pray over our political leaders and stuff, but I'm actually, this is not a democracy that I'm under. I'm under a kingdom. I operate at that level, at that function. We just talked about, we're talking about in Bible study, that we are seated in heavenly places where all things are under our feet. That means we're sitting in a throne seat, y'all. That means we are royalty. That means that we are the ones that's able to speak into the atmosphere and release God's word, and it must bow to his voice. But we have to believe what we're saying. To others, it may look like we're just doing a natural, natural act. But actually, we're doing what God told us to do. One of the things I love to do when we host people at our home is I love moving my vehicle out of the uh, driveway. I know it sounds weird, right? See, the reason why I do that is because I want to serve even at my home. And I want people to be comfortable and welcome to my home, which means I want them to have the quickest access to my home to be able to go to and fro. And some people don't catch on, others do. I'm like, why do you do that? You don't have to do that, this is your house. And that's the point, it is my house. And you are a guest. And I'm gonna treat you the same way that I would want you to treat anyone as a guest to your house. I wanna show you what it looks like so you're able to mimic it and understand what that looks like. That is service or ministry even at that level. That, that's why we teach people manners, to be able to say, you know, as men, let the women eat first. You know, part of that is so that to make sure they eat first, but also to make sure ain't nothing crazy going on behind them. You know, it's like a protective level, right? To make sure our women are fed, make sure our children are good to go, that we're still on guard, we're still making sure nothing funny's happening. You do understand, like, when, when men are cooking, they are still in a place to be able to pray over the food before we pray over the food. They're able to see it and begin the process. You, we do understand that when you are serving and you're manifesting in front of your king, in front of the Lord of Lord and the King of kings, that means we are still kings and lords as well to be able to dominate the territory he has given us. So understanding we still do that in front of our king. We're able to manifest him in front of himself because he's looking for the sons of God to begin to arise and begin to operate in the very lane that he has called them to operate in. So let me bring it to a close, to my last point. And that is for us to manifest consistently. Manifest consistently. So let's look at 1 Samuel 17. Once again, we're talking about manifesting before the battle. All of this is happening before we get to Goliath. You know, as I have not said Goliath once at, all, once at all. This is all before the big battle that everyone recognized. The little things, the little moments for David to manifest to all of those that are around him. But I feel this is going to be funny and blow your mind. Here we go. 1 Samuel 17. We're going to go 28 through 37, but I'm going to split it at 33. 
So 1 Samuel 17, 28-33, it reads, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is this not a cause? Then he turned from him and his brother towards another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did, meaning how his brother responded. Now, when the word, when the words which David spoke was heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fall because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. Now, what I find very interesting about this is that he manifests himself to his family, but his brothers are like, you ain't qualified to do it. I realize he manifests himself to the community because they spoke about him. They're like, nah, you ain't qualified to do this. He even manifests himself to King Saul, and King Saul saying, you too young to do it. He's a man of war. You are youth. But if you go back and look at 1 Samuel 16, 18, the advisors told King Saul he is a man of war. Hmm. In some commentary, what you'll notice is that when he's playing the harp, David's already at the battle. He's already at that point. He's going to and fro following his father's instructions to go provide items for his brothers. Now, at this point, it's not all seven. It's just the oldest three. So David's only there because his father sent him on an assignment to complete. He completed that assignment, unlike Saul, who did not see his mission to completion. And what he noticed is there was a giant in the land challenging the people of God. And David was trying to figure out, why aren't y'all doing something? Why aren't y'all fighting him? Why y'all sitting him, let him, letting him tell you about the God that you serve when you're supposed to serve a God and represent that to the Philistine? Why are y'all just sitting on your blessing assurance and not out there praying for the city? Why are you sitting on your blessing assurance and not lifting up our children's safety? Why are you on your blessing assurance and not be able to change the atmosphere, be able to speak life into areas and not death? I'm sorry, I crossed over my bad let me go back to the scripture so David is like I don't understand why y'all are not stepping up to the plate there is a threat among us and my understanding according to David when I was a shepherd with the sheep when I saw the lion I addressed it when I saw the bear I addressed it when the sheep was even in his mouth I took it from him and when I stood before it, he must die I killed it this ain't nothing but an idle threat I've already been through this story before so what it's a a giant that's taller than me. I thought they were supposed to take me out. This one I'll be able to do so because God has got me here for a reason. I'm here on purpose, for a purpose, and with purpose, and I shall fight in the name of the Lord. Why aren't you? That's what David is saying. Even to the people that he's already manifested God to, they still miss the mark. So don't get frustrated when you manifest God and people don't get it the first time. They're going to need a couple of times. Because didn't we need a couple of times for God to kind of get our attention? Okay, back to the scripture. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. This is what David, we continue the story. Now, man, King Saul came at him and said, you're young, he's a war, he's going to take you out. David started to say in verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out 
after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from his mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by his beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lions and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paws of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go. The Lord be with you. Remember I said earlier that David obeyed his father's call, right? David didn't go into the battle until the king told him to go. Because his father didn't give him permission before he went to check on his brothers to go fight the Philistine. Because his father didn't know that Goliath was there. He knew there was a battle, but he didn't know what the battle was. But it wasn't until the king gave him permission to go that David actually went down. And it was a one-on-one -on -one fight with Goliath, which I've already started off told, telling you, Goliath lost. So what will be important about this scripture as we get to the end? First of all, David still was a man of obedience, even to a person who was disobedient to God. Number one. Number two, when David was faced with this challenge, he stood upon what God had taught him through experience and began to express it against the emotions of a king who was scared to fight because he did this before once and if you look at it this was the next battle after he was disobedient to God and missed the mark King Saul was frightened that he would miss God again that he did not move nor did he allow for his people to move but David was not afraid because David knew the God that he served David knew the God what God was capable of doing and he stood his ground and he moved forward to be able to declare what God shall do until he got permission from the king to be able to do it so David showed an understanding of 1 John 4 and 4, which said that greater is he that lives inside of us than he that's in this world. For us, why is this important? We have to gain a better understanding of John 14 12, which says greater work shall we do. Jesus Christ gave us the template. There is something that we are assigned to do. Jesus said multiple times, I only do what I've seen my father do. But if we've never looked and searched out God as a father to see what he did, then we'll never know how to act as a son. We'll never know how to teach others how to operate as a son. We'll never know how to be able to transfer the generation wealth of knowledge that is necessary for the next generation to take our ceiling and allow for it to be their floor. We have to understand that for David, because he had that mentality that, that greater is he that lives in me than he that's in this world, he saw when the chips are down, the chips are really up. God have a God who is undefeated. And what David did is he went in and we defeated Goliath. It wasn't just a personal victory. He defeated Goliath for the name of God, but he also protected his family and the community that he was a part of. People of God, when we are fighting, we have to understand it's not just about us. It's not just about our immediate family. It's about the next generation that shall follow. It's about the territory that God has given us. It's about those that occupy the very area that he allowed for us to reside in. That's the reason why it's so important to come out of our homes, to be on our patio, to pray over our area, even if it's not named on a map, to begin to pray over Prospect Park, to pray over over 
Highland Park, to pray over Four Mile, to pray over Ankeny, to pray over your subdivision. You are the one who's in that area for a reason. Begin to seek God what you are to do so that death totals can stop in your area, so that the drug possession can stop, that prostitution can stop. Begin to ask God what to do because we are the one that are there for a purpose and we can't just talk about it any longer. We have to be about it. But I'm afraid, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 says this. It says, but we have this treasure in earthly vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Which means we are called to represent God at all times. We are to manifest God at all times. We get bruises, we get scars, we get tired, but guess what? The joy of the Lord should be our strength. These scars tell a story of what God is able to do. It begins to tell our history of what God did with us. And guess what? Though they slay us, yeah, I will still trust the Lord. Give God some praise on today to be able to manifest God at all times. Amen. I'll leave with the scripture and then I'll go to the altar call benediction. Matthew 5, 16 says this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I know it's gloomy right now. I understand in this month, it is much easier to not fight. But God is saying, when you feel like you don't wanna fight, it's actually the most optimal time to stand and to fight. Fight the good fight of faith, people of God. Fight with the tools God has given you, people of God. Fight with the word of God. Do not try to fight on your own. The revelation God gave me is when we fight and we got God on our side, we actually have God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit with us. So when you fight for what God has promised you, expect victory and expect the inheritance God has given to you. But understand, whatever he places in your hand, it comes with an assignment for growth and not stagnation. So continue to let your light shine so that God can get the glory in Jesus' name.